You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones and the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. And I'm Matt. And we're a VHS podcast that looks at the box art trailer and behind the scenes. And last week was one of my favorite comic book movies. My favorite. Matt, this week I'm going to let you introduce one of your all-time favorites. One of my all-time favorites is 1994's The Shadow. Who knows what mysteries wait in the darkness? Who knows what power lies beneath the mind? <laughs> Someone's coming. Who knows what terrors prowl in the underworld? The Shadow knows. An ancient evil returns. Oh my god. And the only hope is. Lamont Cranston. There is one face he shows the world, and the other he hides in shadow. I do what I do to fight back the evil inside me, but some part of it is still there. A mysterious woman shares his powers. I've always had this feeling that there was this man out there just waiting for me. And a secret army is at his command. Report. Police investigation of murder. Agent advises inquiry. Extra, extra! Madman threats to blow the city sky high! You are a barbarian. With Bova, inside you beats a heart of darkness. I guess you call it an implosive, explosive, sub-molecular device. Or an atomic bomb. Hey. Let's catch it. <laughs> Join me. I know who you really are. Alec Baldwin. <gasps> you want to see into my eyes? I'm not afraid of you. John Lone. Find him and kill him. Penelope Ann Miller. And Tim Curry. <laughs> who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Starring Mr. Thin and impressive Alec Baldwin. Confident, charismatic Alec Baldwin at the top of his game in 94. Yeah, shirtless, chest hair and all. Yeah, just a stud muffin. He has, you could tell right now that he's uh, letting alcohol a little bit get to him, but he's still a stud muffin. Oh, yeah. After he lost all that weight, like after like uh, in like the 30 rock years, he was kind of big and mm-hmm. then he lost all that weight again. He looks he looks great again now. No, he had leading man look all over him. Yes. There is something like he he's also a, a guy who like great actor and actresses have the ability to have a lot going on behind the eyes when they're just staring at you. Mm-hmm. And I, I think like Clint Eastwood back in the 70s had it. Absolutely. Where you look at it and you're like, yeah, you're not doing anything, but I still want to stare at you. Baldwin definitely has this yeah, for yeah, sure. And yeah. like that's I think that's why he's cast in this movie, because the costume is just his eyes. Yes. And a terrible nose. I'm saying <laughs> that's the only thing I hate about this movie is the, the, the nose prosthetic. It's so bad. I don't know what they were thinking. 
Did you know that in some scenes it's not a nose and it's Billy Baldwin? Is it? I had heard that rumor and that's okay. Behind the scenes here, folks. I wanted to get this movie before we did it from Shout Factory. I had wanted to get this for a long time. I like pulp comics. I, I just really do. You know, Rocketeer, Dick Tracy. Oh, not huge into Dick Tracy, but Dick Tracy was an incredible movie when we reviewed it a couple weeks ago. I really wanted to get this because I heard the behind the scenes from The Shadow and what Shout Factory did was incredible. Am I right? Well, it's just, it, I believe I have it. And I believe it's just one documentary bonus feature that's about a half hour long. It's not like a super long one, but it is very good. It's a very interesting and it pretty much covers the gamut. It doesn't go too deep. Like, obviously, there's a lot of production problems that happen with this movie, particularly like with the end of the movie. Um, and they don't talk about that too much. They talk about it, but they don't sort of talk about the problems. I think it's, it is a little bit more of the fluffier things, like a lot of people just reminiscing about the good times on set and stuff like that. And not everybody is in, like, I don't think the director is in the documentary, but like Alec Baldwin's in the documentary and stuff. And there's a lot of fond memories there. And it is, it's pretty interesting. It's worth a purchase for that little 30 minute, 40 minute doc that's on there. Well, yeah, like or Russell McCani. Uh, Russell McCahey. Yeah. Russell McCahey. He's, Short end of the stick. Uh, he's got it in a lot of movies. I mean, he is a special effects guy. He is a visual director. Uh, Highlander is one that I really love of his, the original one from 86. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you're a big fan of Resident Evil Extinction? Yeah, I I think it's, it's the best sequel in this series. Uh, I really like the first one, and I really like the third one, and he, he directed that. And it's the most visual of the sequels because it's him. He's... He's a great visual director. Yeah, he is. He's also done a lot of video shorts. He's a music video guy. He's a music video guy. He's also done a lot of shorts. He was a guy who just... <sighs> I mean, he's gotten fucked on a lot of films. The Shadow is one. Highlander 2. The Quickening. Uh, Ricochet? Ricochet yeah. should have been a movie that was big. He got fucked on that. Yeah, uh, that ended up going like straight to HBO. Yeah, that was... And if you actually watch it, I actually enjoy it. I actually enjoy it. Like, I mean, he's an Australian guy. He started all the way back. He did with, um, oh, shit, the Ozploitation film. Um, Razorback. Razorback. That I, I think is one of the best Ozploitation, but it's not. It, it's gotten, a, it's gotten obviously, now a cult falling. I love it. Have you seen it? No, I've never seen Razorback. Yeah, I, I like a lot of his early ones, Razorback, and I like Highlander. And I'm going to, just to cut to the chase, I like The Shadow. Yeah, this is this has been, it. you know, like some movies you love as a kid and then you refine as an adult. Some movies you love as a kid and you don't love as an adult. This movie I have loved my whole life. I have just, any phase of movies that I'm into, I always come back to The Shadow. I love, I love the visuals of the movie. I love... Uh, the characters I love the look I love the time period thing this is this is totally like it's not my favorite movie of all time or anything but it is definitely kind of like my rocketeer where I just I love so many facets of the movie now this movie has a lot more problems than the rocketeer again especially like with the ending and stuff like that but like I just I look right past that and just like this is just one of my all-timers I can definitely see it as a nostalgia look back um do I think this is as good as The Rocketeer? No, but the, I'm biased. 
And the same right. thing with you. If you think the Shadow is better than the Rocketeer, I get it. Yeah. It is your yeah. kid. I don't give a shit what you think. Nostalgia look. I love it. And that's that's fine. I actually love people talking about their... Like, there's a couple movies where you can go back and you're like, I loved it as a kid. You rewatch and you're like, oh, what was I thinking? I think right. the Shadow is one you could go back and be like, no, no, no. I saw it. I see it. Yeah. How... Now, I'm I'm four or five years old. I'm watching movies constantly because I'm four and five years old, and that's what you you play with your toys. You go outside, you watch movies. Like that's it's what you do. And I'm four or five years old, and you drop this on me, and and it's me who likes dark stuff, who likes comic booky stuff, who likes weird stuff. And you this comes out right when I'm consuming a ton of media. This is one of the ones that I think changed me in terms of becoming more of a serious film fan. No, I get it, because there's a lot of good cinematography in this. Obviously, there's a good amount of cinematography in the new Marvel films and everything. Uh, so I, I'm not going to sit here. I'm not going to be a Marvel basher. I'm going to let Matt play that role. <laughs> I'll play that role every day. Yeah, I'm not. I actually think their their fight scenes, I think the majority of the films are directed off the fight scenes. Uh, I think they have, and for a long time, they, they know their pattern. And they're not going to break it. Occasionally they take a little risk. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But either way, it doesn't hurt their brand. So they don't give a shit. Uh, with films like this and The Rocketeer, Dick Tracy, and a lot of other ones, uh, Demolition Man isn't a comic book film, but it feels like it. But a right. lot of these, they are taking risk mostly because there's no roadmap to follow. I, I think Spider-Man, I may be wrong, but I think Spider-Man kind of like developed the roadmap. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Yeah, there was, this time was a wild west. You didn't know. Like, yeah. we had Batman as a success to look at. We could look back at Superman as a success, but like, in, in 94, everything was still like, they were trying stuff. It was it was experimental. It was and very I think, experimental, yes. I think this movie and the movie we're going to talk about next week really show that like it's just like let's try it let's see what sticks and if it doesn't work hey we got a big star it's a big property it's going to be a big summer release the year it's coming out like let's have some fun with it and i i miss that because now stuff like the marvel stuff and stuff it feels so safe so but uh, i think it, it still exists I think oh yeah you have to open your eyes and and i get your your pessimism towards comic book movies because i have it and everyone knows who listens to us. Like I've gotten so many. He's like, man, you guys hate Marvel. And I'm like, no, no, Matt hates Marvel. I'm just tired of Marvel. And I don't hate Marvel because there's so many good ones. I mean, they've had 30 movies now at this point, and there are so many good ones. I don't hate yeah. Marvel. Maybe it's I just shouldn't like, speak for you. It's just like the Mar I hate kind of what Marvel represents more than the actual thing. And to me, it, it does seem like more manufactured and more screen tested. Everything is... Everything is it's a lot polished. of cooks. Yeah, and it's 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 mass media. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's something for everybody. Which, when it's something for everybody, you kind of lose the magic of something that's no, very specific. That's why, like, I love things more and more. You know, like Deadpool. Yeah, and that challenge to the conventions. Yeah, it did the same thing with Logan, and I think mm -hmm. that's why they're better than the majority of them. And and I get pushback all the time. Like I know you do. And I also love that we've started this podcast that people push back now against me more than ever. I felt like 
before people were like, oh, well, you watch a lot of media. You just know more than me. Now, because we have a platform, and we're not big, but because we have a platform, I feel like people love to push back against me more now. And I don't know if you ever, do you get that at all? Yeah, um, I, you know, and it's just from being in, in the world of it, like running a festival, doing this, having the other podcast, having the movie nights, you know, all the different kind of like things that I've, you know, making movies even too. Everything I've kind of stuck my nose in has sort of made it where people like, I, this is, I don't mean it in the conceited way, but people view, I think, I think people view both, both of us as kind of like authorities, which is like not correct. <laughs> but like, <laughs> uh. Yeah. Like they're like almost like authorities in this kind of like cinema which, you know, don't like, you know, we don't even do research. So don't like look at us. It's like <laughs> we do. So you do some research, but like, you know what I mean? Like we're not. Well, authorities, you do but think, too, but we we do lazy research. Yeah, it's like it's stuff I already know or like, you know, stuff about the studios or whatever. But like it's it, we're viewed, though, because we have these platforms, we're viewed as kind of like authority. So I think we do get a lot of like challenges to our opinions and things like that. Uh and my thing has always been like, hey, man, this is my opinion. You can like what you like. I'm not saying you're wrong for liking a thing that I don't like. And I think yeah. people don't understand that still. No, uh, I got a I huge. That... Uh, oh, sorry to interrupt. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I got a huge pushback for the Ant-Man and the Wasp movie. Okay. And I enjoyed it because they're like, dude, that film was awesome. And I'm like, yeah, I just didn't think that. Um, I thought it should have been the Wasp movie because uh, I felt like Ant-Man kind of felt like a second-tier character in his own movie. What's the point of that? Give Wasp her own movie. I would have watched it. Call it the Wasp and the Ant-Man. Yeah, I, I, I like that movie too, but I thought it was super forgettable. I couldn't tell exactly. you anything that Exactly, that's my point. I liked it too, but it's forgettable. But there, there are people that are, you know, Marvel stands. There are people that really like the Ant Man franchise too. Like, they're, they're, it's kind of a cult film within the within the Marvel universe. There's people that like it, and like they're not, they're not wrong for liking it. They can like it. It's just like not yeah. my thing. That, and I think the Shadows a... like a good example of like a '90s version of that. Where like a lot of people are like, oh, the movie's kind of a mess. I don't really like it. And it's like, but I love it, and that's okay. You don't yeah. have to like it. You know what I mean? Like. And uh, I think, you know, it's like, like you were saying, people are challenging us. And I think it's because we have these platforms and stuff like that. But like, one of the things I've always encouraged is like, like what you like, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Here, like my official statement on the Ant-Man and the Wasp is it's a good movie. I know it's a good movie. I don't enjoy it. Yeah. And my thing, my thing on Marvel in general is like, I don't hate Marvel, but I hate what it sort of represents. Um, and I hate sort of like conglomerate move, like, you know, mass media made movies, movies for everybody, because it's not my thing. I like, I like weird stuff, you know, I like schizophrenic cinema and that's just what I like. But, you know, my official stance is Marvel can do its thing and it's going to continue to have fans and that's great. I like stuff like The Shadow <laughs> and Spawn. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'll push back. Spawn. No. But um, <laughs> this movie I enjoy, and it's a mess. Yeah, I can. I I have to be honest with you. I know you enjoy this film, so I'm going to be honest about the film because I think it's going to be fun. Right, and yeah, I don't. Uh, you still like to close the book on the uh, on the pushback thing. I don't understand it. You can, you can like what you like, man, and let other people like what they like. <laughs> yeah. But let's get in 
to this film. If I am walking down the rental store in 1995, I assume this came out. I'm going to say mm-hmm. Hollywood or Hollywood. What is wrong with me? I'm going to say uh, around Christmas because it came out in July 94. I'm going to say they tried to push this. So Christmas in 94, almost New Year in 95. Matt, what am I looking at here? What's going to trick so, my eye? I'm I'm looking at my uh, VHS that because I've got so many versions of the shadow in this house. I'm looking at my sealed one, and it's Alec Baldwin's face is in the center uh, in the suit when he's using his eyes to hypnotize Jonathan Winters, uh, and then it has the illustration of Khan, the Genghis Khan uh, character, underneath him reaching out his hands in like a mysterious way and then above it right under the title of the shadow which is in this amazing green 40s font i, I love the the font choice for the shadow the title treatment here and right underneath it kind of in between those images and the title is the uh, illustrated image of like the silhouette of the eyes of the shadow and right. we got a tag we got the tagline of who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? Yes, yeah, with the question mark. Yeah, okay, I know what one you're talking about. I used to have a poster. I got I got rid of it because I'm, I'm not keeping a lot of posters these days, but I used to have a poster that I had actually up in my college apartments, uh, which was just like the illustrated eyes. It was almost like a teaser poster. Uh, that was sort of the, the more widely used yeah, marketing for the movie. That's which the one the, I remember from the uh, theater by my house. Mm-hmm. The the eyes, which I uh, and think they ended shadow. up using for the Blu-ray. Yes, that's the same one. Uh, the DVD is the same cover as this VHS, though. Now, yeah. do you, have you seen the Universal release of the French, Spanish, and Italian no. VHS and Shadow? That's the one where it's more orange. Uh, I don't know why they went with that. Like he's the shadows in the background with his eyes looming and he's got the little dagger and then in the foreground it shows alex ball alec baldwin and you know some of the side characters and the main villain and it's like very orange and red interesting yeah i i love the sort of black and blue uh that they use for this cover i like that color scheme a lot well this was a color scheme that was very popular in the 90s the kind of like green teal and dark blue mm-hmm. before we got to the orange and blue of the early 2000s i am a green teal and black uh fan for life that's my like look that i like well i mean batman created the dark blue yeah and, and i'm a batman guy grew. so it just grew with time, <laughs> yeah. so. i get it before we get into this film before you describe the box art i listened to the entire soundtrack of this and man am i Half loving it and half not. The one portion of the score is amazing. It is iconic old cinema orchestra. And the Mm. other half is this shitty jazz. And if you know Steve, he hates jazz. (laughs) You and Johnny. Remember Shattered Dreams? Remember that song? (laughs) Fuck the jazz. Johnny hates jazz. Yeah, I, I love the main theme. I love the main theme it's of this a, one. It's wow. awesome. It's so like it gets you hyped when the credits are on. Uh, 
and then the rest not so much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't even remember the rest. So oh, I listened. Uh, it ruined this my is, work day. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> this is Jerry Goldsmith, mm-hmm. super famous composer, has done everything in the game, uh, getting his hand in the '90s superhero thing. Yeah, he didn't do the jazz part. Everything he did was awesome. Nice. I just like to point out. Ugh, I hate the jazz of the like <laughs> that like forties fifties jazz where they put in these movies, like the ugh, I can't stand it. Luckily, Indiana Jones didn't. But anyway, let's get on to the good stuff. We're written this film. What's the quotes I see? What's the description? What do we got here? So my the quote on here is blocked by a proof of purchase thing. Son of a bitch. (laughs) I can't read the quote, but I can read the description. So here's the description from the back. We got three stills. Uh, We get Khan, we get the uh, shadow, and we get uh, Penelope Ann Miller and Alec Baldwin like almost kissing. So Alec Baldwin brings a legendary crime-fighting superhero vividly to life in this lavish action adventure. Pitted against him is Shwan Khan, John Lone, last descendant of the great Genghis Khan, who conquered half the world. Now, Sean Khan, Shwan Khan plans Shwan. to finish the job with a new and better weapon, the atomic bomb. The shadow, mysterious alter ego of wealthy New York playboy Lamont Cranston, dons his sweeping black cape and disguise whenever crime surfaces. Besides his ability to cloud men's minds, he has his own network of helpful people who he's saved. A romantic involvement with a telepathic socialite, Margot Lane, and a secret dark side. However... He's never tangled with anyone like Khan, an enemy whose strength and occult powers match his own. When these two square off, they're destined for a spectacular battle with the fate of humanity riding on the result. Combining 30s ambiance and mind-blowing 90s special effects, humor, and a dazzling dose of macabre, the shadow captures the spirit of the original and goes light years beyond. I'm not a big fan of the main bad guy in this, but I kind of dig the description. Yeah, it's a I little long. If, I think if I read the description and I see this cover, I'm picking this up immediately if I've never heard of it before. Oh, yeah, I'd pick this cover up in a second. Yeah, I can also read you the quote. It is the wittiest action adventure since Indiana Jones. The Shadow is a spellbinding runaway entertainment ride by NBC News. Nice. That is exactly what is blocked by this proof of purchase may i say so far in our 90s comic book films everyone is compared to indiana jones (laughs) it's true only our last movie breaks that yeah because it couldn't be farther from indiana jones (laughs) it couldn't it's more blade runner than anything else but anyway uh with this did we have any trailers when we put this tape in Negative. Wah, wah. Nunzo. I'm surprised Universal didn't pack this. I don't think Universal started packing their movies with trailers until late 90s, mid 90s, late 90s. Because when it was the MCA Universal, either the trailers were at the end, and there's none at the end of this, by the way, or there were none. I don't know why, but in the early 90s, the MCA Universal titles just didn't have a lot of trailers in front. Well, it had some really good font. I, I love the shadow font. Me too. And am I noticing like a keyhole or something like that in the O? Yeah. Or even if it's not a keyhole, just that sort of like squaring of the circle a little bit. In the, You know what I mean? Like it has a style. It's a stylized O for yeah, sure. I dig it. 
I love the '40s fonts, though. The Me modern, too. I, modern '40s, what they call them. Uh, I love them. Yeah, all the the Art Deco stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I love all like even uh, Art Deco, like up to like '50s futurism. That's my like look of it. Well, like yeah, that. and then once the sci-fi, uh, mm-hmm. once the nuclear, you know, all those. I mean, posters in the '20s, '30s, '40s, '50s, and even up to the '60s. They were the advertisement. Right. Everything was invested in the posters. I mean, the 80s was known as the poster sell. But honestly, it should be. And maybe that's just because it's it's recency biased. But the 80s and some with the 70s, they would sell the title and the poster before they even made the movie. Mm-hmm. Friday the 13th is the most famous one that I know about. Mm-hmm. But a lot of them. I feel like I wonder how many oh Canon did it too in the eighties. But I feel like the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, everything was sold off the poster. Like in at least in the eighties and nineties, trailers were a thing. But and there were trailers obviously going back as far as the thirties, but they weren't the like almost art form that trailers became in the eighties. You know, like if you watch like the trailer for Halloween from the set, it's a terrible trailer, you know. It really that poster is, is incredible. <laughs> Wasn't the first Nightmare on Elm Street trailer shitty too? Mm, One of these I franchises, it. maybe it is Halloween. One of the Halloween trailers is a was terrible bad. trailer. Yeah, I wonder if Friday the Thirteenth was a good trailer. I don't even know. Yeah, Friday the Thirteenth has a good. It's where the countdown. They count down from thirteen deaths. Oh, that's it's, right. Yeah, but that, yeah. that's the eighties. You know. I think the 80s really got trailers. The they did. 70s, it wasn't a thing yet. Man, and then the trailers are wrecked now. They tell you the entire movie. Because all, all the research has found out people don't like mysteries. Right. They want to know exactly what they're paying money for. I don't think I have seen the trailer for The Shadow in a long time. It's generic. I, I can't saw it. remember. Right before we did this, I watched it. I I think I was sold probably on the cover. Why You're I sold saw on it the, the first look. time? Yeah, right. Yeah, but I mean, when I when I put this tape and I hadn't watched it in a really long time, and all I remember is Alec Baldwin being a good-looking guy, mm-hmm. and I remember the CG being too good for its time. And after I watched the film, I still think both those things. Is the CG comparable to? all the Marvel stuff and everything now. No, that's ridiculous. Uh, They were trying to do something bigger than their picture. And I think for the time, 1994, they did a good job. Yeah. And I think, I think the effects look a little dated on the Blu-ray, but when you watch it on VHS, they blend in so perfectly, especially that opening scene with the knife and the face on the knife and everything. It looks incredible on VHS. It looks real. No, it looks just as good as the shit they put out for the Scorpion King like five years later. Yeah. They were doing something. And like, I'm sure I've heard the British release DVD of this is incredible because they did like a full feature at and I know Shout Factory couldn't get it. It's not their fault. The company who owned that said no. They had a dollar amount and Shout Factory just couldn't hit it. It's not their fault. Right. But I've heard it. It's incredible because a lot of the people who weren't appearing on shout factories appeared on that because it was done when the movie was made it's more like a epk than a behind the scenes in that like it was 
probably being used to promote the movie at the time. No, yeah, I remember a lot of this. Like, apparently, the special effects in this and a couple other movies in the mid '90s was used as like, "Wow, look what we can do!" Right. I think the effects in this one are in the same vein as the Jurassic Parks and T2s. Maybe not as good, but like that photo reel effects, as opposed or like filmically well okay. blended. So Jurassic Park and T2 kind of need to stop being used as the iconic ones because you had the people who invented it working on it, the best of the best. And they mm. didn't even know they were the best. Right. Until they were the only ones. Yeah. And then it became all these smaller studios trying to develop all this. So, you know, that's like comparing hall of famers in baseball to regular baseball players that are pretty good. You're like, yeah, it's not fair. Mm. We get it. You know, like everyone's going to be compared to, Mickey Mantle and Babe Ruth, but that's not fair. They're the best of the best. Right. <laughs> we should start. Anyway, that's just my opinion, but it was pretty good special effects for the time. And I think they hold up even though they are clearly dated. Yeah. I think they hold up really well. And something this film, once we put this in that compares to the rocketeer and Dick Tracy is the amount of character actors in this is insane. Yes, this movie is stacked. I mean, just like the cast of uh, the mains, like the people that are on the cover, it's like Alec Baldwin, John Lone, Penelope Ann Miller, who was blowing up at the time, Peter Boyle, Ian McKellen, Jonathan Winters, Tim Curry. Like, and that's not even everybody in the movie. <laughs> no, because there's so many. Uh, I'm surprised there wasn't a Clint Howard in here. <laughs> and but- he might be. You never know. You never know. But James Hong was when he first pops up in like the first 15, 10 minutes. I was like, James Hong? What the hell? <laughs> yeah. But I saw him in the opening credits. That's how big his name was at this time. Mm-hmm. Which surprised me because he's barely in five minutes of screen time. Right. He's just in that opening. Yeah. And when you were mentioning Penelope and Miller, I mean, I remember her in The Freshman and Carlito's Way. <sighs> What else was she in at this time? She was in uh, The Relic, and she was in one of the other adaptations. Was she in The Saint? I don't know. Oh, uh, I gotta look Oh, up. she was also in Kindergarten Cop. Okay, yep. She was right in the middle of her being famous. She was somebody. Yeah, and The Relic, I remember afterwards. Did you mention that? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I, yeah, I guess she wasn't in The Saint, but she was in something else I'm thinking of. She still uh, works to this day, right? I think so. Didn't she, she marry was, someone famous? She was with Will Arnett for a while. Okay, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, I don't know who she's married. The yeah. person she's married to now isn't clickable, so they're probably not famous. Ah, whatever. Anyway, but, yeah, uh, she was in a lot of 90s stuff. Yeah, and she still works. She still works, yeah. I see that too. She's a she's a good looking uh good looking lady. Yeah. I think she put and she's she plays a good uh tough sort of uh you know, co lead with Alec Baldwin here. Yeah, and this movie was really liked by the lesser known awards. I mean the Saturn Saturn Awards gave this like four nominations. But this was film was really well liked by the outsiders, I would say. Yeah, and I think that's what sort of led it to become a minor cult classic. Like this one, you know, got that Shout Factory release uh, and it is talked about kind of more 
now. Uh, I wouldn't say it sort of found its footing on video, but it definitely, I think, did better on video than it did in theaters. I believe it did, yeah. You know, and this movie avoided, and I don't, I hate it when it gets lumped into The Phantom. Now, I love Billy Zane. And I haven't seen The Phantom in a long time, but I remember that movie being just bad. Oh, you should watch it again now. It's it's fucking awesome. The is Phantom. It? But it's so different from this. Is it yeah, it get, it gets lumped in a lot of time. And I've heard some people like confuse it. They're like, Oh, oh is that the Billy Zane movie? And I go, No, 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 no. 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 <laughs> That's the Alec Baldwin movie. And I defended this before I even like rewatched it and kind of like understood. The cult, I don't know, phenomenon, but anyway, the cult audience, I understand it now. There's a lot to like in this film, but the the Phantom, that one just really wrecked comic book movies for a while. That and Spawn, and I know mm. you love Spawn. Yeah, I love the Phantom. I love Spawn. I love all of these ones from this time, but yeah, they couldn't be more different from the Shadow. Yeah, the Shadow is so much like Batman, and Batman. If you're a Batman fan, listen, Batman stole from the Shadow. Okay, it's just a fact. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the the shadow was around with pulp comics and the radio show long before. The shadow was before Batman and Batman Mm -hmm. specifically. They they took from it that, you know, a detective who was using forensic evidence. He has a mystical, magical like ability to solve crimes. He has a cape he uses. Well, at the time, Batman used guns, but the shadow used 45s and. All this stuff. He's a rich, rich man who uses all of his money to travel at night. You know, obviously, we're we're not idiotic. And I also don't get mad. I'm not also like, oh, the Batman stole. Only I don't care. Yeah, Batman, Batman did it better. That's just Batman it. works as Batman, and the Shadow works as the Shadow. I'm not gonna be mad about either of them. <laughs> yeah, and I and I have no problem with George Lucas stealing from Flash Gordon. Right. Star Wars is better. He right. did it better. Did you know that this was? Started as and always supposed to be a Sam Raimi movie. I did, and this is how um, Darkman was created, correct? Yeah, Darkman was created in that the shadow didn't take off for Raimi, and Universal was like, "Hey, you could just do your own thing, though." And that's how Darkman got born. But it was originally supposed to be Sam Raimi's The Shadow, and I think there is an imprint of that still on the final movie. Darkman got Sam Raimi Spider Man. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as like, Evil Dead created Sam Raimi and that type of cult classic. But honestly, I think Darkman has more to do with Sam Raimi's career than anything else. Yeah, it definitely established him as a crossover artist. It was more than just the horror guy. Well, I, I think he uh, established his ability to be a general audience director. Yeah. Even though Darkman's, you know, dark and violent and everything, I think you look at that and you're like, yeah, but I can make money off that. Right, and there's definitely a talented filmmaker there. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have to have talent to make people money, but I think people could look at Darkman and be like, I can make money off that. I think people looked at Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 and said like, yeah, I'll give you some money and you, you're talented, but you have to establish that you're talented with the ability to make money for the big boys to look at you. And yeah. and that's kind of like, you know, I know some people are like, ugh, you know, I want an artist. And I'm like, yeah, but artists typically don't make money. <laughs> and, then, and not to be like 
an anti-snob or anything like that, but like I tend to like the filmmakers that are artists but can also do mass appeal stuff. You know, the people that can play in both fields tend to be my like us like a Sam Raimi, like a Russell Mulcahy. Like they're obviously artists. They're creating great visuals, but at the same time, they're making entertaining movies. They're not making like art films. No, it's the same thing with a young Spielberg who took a B movie plot in Jaws and made it into a I mean, I don't think he ever thought it would be that big. But he is, you know, he's the kind of guy who does sh- kind of, I'm not going to say shitty <laughs> B-movie scripts. He took Jaws and made it into a household name. Right. You're, that's the start, in my opinion. Same thing with Lucas, who took, I mean, you say what you want about Star Wars, but it's space wizards. Mm-hmm. And he made it a household name. I love these guys who just, like, they kind of seem like, I don't want to do old Hollywood bullshit. I want to do all this quote unquote junk that a lot of you people don't like. And I think it's still going and I like it. Yeah. And like I said, in a small way, he's no Spielberg or anything like that, but in a small way, like Russell Mulcahy kind of is one of these guys that like, he's taking like these pulp ideas like Highlander like this, and he's turning them into really cool visual things. I do. Yeah. Completely agree. I, I, I just, he always got the bad end of the deal. Yeah, I mean, he got fucked with both Highlanders that he did. He got fucked with this movie. I feel like the only one he actually got to like do was Resident Evil. Like, I feel like that's the only one they well, left. Yeah, him and alone. Razorback. Yeah, that's it. Everything else he always gets fucked with. Yeah, so he, he's just one of those guys that maybe he'll have something really big one day when he's really old. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I don't know. I really he's still don't know. making stuff, so maybe. Maybe, but if we get into the plot of this, I feel like this has a lot of, a lot of these pulp comics have simple plots. Bad yes. guy does something, gonna destroy the world, save it. That's it. Uh, and you know, a lot of comic book movies do that over and over and over and over and over and over again, and it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as you make the visuals striking, you get away with it. Yeah, it's um, make interesting characters, make interesting visuals. Who cares about the thin plot? This movie, though, I feel like I kind of want to disagree a little bit with the thin plot. It is, but like it is a little like almost convoluted a little too. Like it is, it's simple in that like a descendant of Genghis Khan wants to use an atomic bomb to blow up the world. The shadows gotta stop him. But then there is like the elements of like his uh, secret society. Uh, that help him there's like the tim curry becomes one of the main villains in the movie you know like it does fill the space though in good and in bad in that like there are times i've seen this movie a hundred times there are times when i'm watching this where i'm a little still lost in what's happening yeah what i'm looking at i will agree with you while it's a very thin plot it's also a convoluted story there's a lot going on yeah yeah, so you got the shadow at the beginning who apparently is running an opium den or whatever. I don't know what he's doing. He's yeah. a I don't I don't know, is he a Chinese overlord? I I I really feel like he is the villain version of like when Bruce Wayne went overseas to train. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He is the bad version of it. He went over to Asia to learn these techniques or whatever and then used it all for bad. He just was a bad guy. 
Yeah, and then one of the worst uses of like a like where they tell a story in the middle of it and they're just showing like and after the chateau left, blah blah blah, and he went on. I'm like, why are we having a script overlay here with someone reading it to us? That was awful. That was one of the worst parts of the film. Yeah, I feel like they cut out a bunch of the film right there. Yeah, I agree. But I do like then that we then just get into the shadow story. No, you know the, what I mean. It's almost pers- like a necessary evil. Personally, I think that's where you start the movie on the bridge. Yeah. Right. Just cut out the rest. We have some backstory throughout the film. We get it. Um, he, you know, had a bad time during his life. He was a richy rich kid who definitely knew how to flaunt it. And then he comes back and he's a rich, rich man using his money to hunt down the criminals of the night. Right. Got it. Don't need any more. Right. And looks amazing doing it. I love the shadows design. With the red thing over his face, the hat, the cape. He looks so fucking cool in this movie. <laughs> uh, see, I think the shadow is one of the worst parts because of the fucking nose. Yeah, it doesn't bother me. It, the nose doesn't bother me. Ugh, uh, the, it. Whether it's the prosthetic or whether it's Billy in the suit. <laughs> it doesn't bother me. Uh, but I, I love the costume. I just love the costume. Do we have a story of why Billy Baldwin was in the suit he just looked he looked like that character like when he when the nose changes and stuff like that it's just because he looked more like that so they just were like hey do you want to do it uncredited or whatever and he was like yeah (laughs) he just fit the look of the shadow more than alec did but alec looked more like uh lamont cranston so yeah i was actually interested more in you know cranston than anything else and it's part of me too because i like part of batman is like the ridiculousness of bruce wayne mm-hmm. like where you're running around as a rich a rich dude with his business and you're you know you're being a, a playboy which i never actually got you know cranston as a playboy he was more of like a shadowy figure who is also the shadow <laughs> Yeah, he just kind of came in and out, you know, like with like the Jonathan Winter scenes. He just kind of comes in and out, tells people what they need to know, and then dips. Now, I'm also, one of the things I don't like is I didn't like the Genghis Khan bad guy. I just, I, I kind of wanted a mystical bad guy. Because I feel like this is a mystical movie. And he is a little bit. But they don't fully commit to him being fully mystical. And this is a 90s thing. I never felt like he was going to kill the Shadow. I always felt like the Shadow was fine. Even though the Shadow was almost killed several times. (laughs) Like the ridiculous uh, like tank where all the water is flooding in and yeah, somehow, the water Penelope, dome. Yeah, somehow Penelope on Miller's character gets all the way from the library to the tank to unfill it and save, you know, the shadow. And I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I don't see that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and that's not even, and that's not even a uh, Genghis Khan that's trying to, it's Tim Curry. No, that puts that's him Tim in Curry. There. Yeah. I always love when these characters are trying to figure out where the shadow is and they fire up in the air. And I'm like, he's standing. He's a human <laughs> dude standing. Why are you shooting at the ground level? <laughs> they do it twice in this movie. 
But whatever. I, I still enjoyed a lot of it. Uh, Tim Curry needed to be used more than Genghis Khan or Grievous Khan, whatever the Khan's name. What was his name? Schwan Khan. Schwan. Schwan Khan is also very hard to say. It is. It is. It's tough for me to remember, which isn't much because I don't remember a lot. But okay. And his atomic bomb in his, you know, hidden, mystical, magically hidden uh, skyscraper. I like the hidden skyscraper. I really do. But the atomic bomb, I felt, was like so generic. Yeah, I I wonder if it's a 40s thing. I wonder if because of the 40s vibe of this that they were like, oh, atomic bomb. A nuclear bomb. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I I wonder if that has something to do with it. But uh, I I do, you know, the bomb gets us one of my favorite scenes, uh, which is a quick scene and it's near the end of the... Ian McKellen and Penelope Ann Miller disarming the bomb and when it's like rolling down the uh, uh, hotel and then into the elevator and stuff like that. I love that section. Yeah, that was actually fun. That kind of like that really gave out the like feeling of the movie where they're kind of like cheesy. uh, But at the same time, like, uh oh, better stop it. Is this dangerous? This is real. Yeah, it's fun and exciting. Ian McKellar, this is one of his first American movies. He's great. He's super fun in this. Yeah, apparently he was incredibly nervous. That's funny. Yeah. I feel like the first thing I had seen him in is uh, Last Action Hero. Was he in Last Action Hero? He is. Isn't he Death from the Seventh Seal? He comes out of the, the movie at the end. Oh, well, maybe this isn't one of his first American movies. Well, I this thought... one, that was... That was only the year before this, so it still could have been one of his first. Oh, okay, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was Death. Why? Well, so, do you think the Shadow was in production that long? Yeah, one year before Last Action Hero. Yeah, they were probably shooting a lot around the same time because they were both gigantic movies. I just loved when I read that he was super, super nervous, and he just didn't think he did a very good job. And when I watch it, and I'm like, no, you did. Fine. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, he's like clearly having a blast in the movie, I feel like. And he's, you know, when he's hypnotized and stuff like that, it's fun. There's a lot of comedy where almost Alec Baldwin kind of isn't taking anything seriously. But there's also a lot of death in this where it's like nailed down dark. And I don't think they knew what tone to go with in this movie. Yeah, I, I, but again, this is like exactly the kind of tone that I like. You know what I mean? I love movies that are like a little funny, but like they're also a little weird and a little scary and a little dark. Like this one has just the right amount of all the stuff I like. The line when Alec Baldwin and Penelope Miller are talking about their dreams and Alec Baldwin and she's like, oh, I dreamed I was naked on a beach and I was uh, <laughs> having a, uh, you know, I was so at peace or whatever. And he was, he just quickly, confidently responds, like, I had a dream where my face fell off and I was somebody else. I yeah, I, I, had, I had a dream where I ripped off my face and I was someone else. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, oh, yeah, she's, that she's, that humor, that one got me. Yeah. She's like, you might have a problem. He's like, I'm aware of that. Yeah, like, it cracks me up. Every time. Okay, so I liked Peter Boyle as mm-hmm. Mo the Cabman. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I had a hard time swallowing was Jonathan Winters as the police commissioner. Yeah, he. I don't know necessarily, other than the fact that he's Jonathan Winters, why he's in this, but it's fun. Yeah, I just like every time I'm like, yeah, I can't take you seriously. <laughs> like, 
yeah, and then at the very end where he, he comes onto the crime scene and he swigs out of his his little flask and I'm like, Yeah, yeah, I don't know who you are. I really don't <laughs> like I don't get you. And apparently he was like the uncle of the shadow. Oh, okay. I didn't I know that. I don't know if that's true though, but I do like how there's a correlation between him and Batman, where they both know the commissioner of police, the police mm. commissioner. Right. I mean, there's there's a lot of comparisons between these two. We know what Batman did, and Batman did it better, I'll be honest. That's fine. I still think this is a very enjoyable movie. I love this movie for what it is. I mean, I know I know what we're getting, but like, I, I unabashedly love it. I am immediately taken into a world of all the things that I kind of like when I watch this movie because of the look, because of the tone, every, everything is stuff I like here. And, uh, you know, it doesn't, like we said, it doesn't all work. So I think we should talk about the ending for a second here. Okay. Uh, let's do this because this is where, you know, you could defend this movie to the ends of the earth. Uh, and I will, but there's really not no defending the ending because the whole thing this movie is an hour and 48 minutes long. It's not very long. The whole ending comes together in six minutes. I watched the <laughs> time this time when we were when we knew we were going to record this. Um, after they disarm the bomb, we have the uh, scene that is the reference to the lady from Shanghai, which is the 1940s Orson Welles movie, which is this, the, has the famous mirror scene. And they're doing this very briefly. And then Lamont Cranston beats Genghis Khan by you know throwing the shards of glass into his face and then the movie's just over it's done. like and i think and, and i mean they kind of talk about it in the shout factory thing and if you look up information and stuff on this movie which when i was younger i looked up all the information i could on this the ending is the thing that got taken away from russell mulcahy and got chopped to bits uh the most and it's very obvious when you watch it now i i, I haven't seen the shout factory thing but i know there was a lot of this film that was just edited out. And mm. I know the edit is what people are most embarrassed by. And I know it's the end. Um, everyone can tell that. The ending just goes like, hey! And it's over. Yes. <laughs> from like, Wow, okay. From the moment that we present the final conflict to the end of the final conflict, like I said, it's six minutes. Which for a movie is nothing. <laughs> no, it's it's clearly cut down. I don't know what was in it. I don't know if it was money that they couldn't afford or they just didn't want to or they just wanted to get this out before a certain time. But if it was to get it out into the July release, what a bad move. Because well, we talked just... about it before we went to this movie is – the competition that they had in July of 1994 is insane. Yeah, we this was like the year of Speed and uh, Forrest Gump and Lion King. Uh, they didn't stand a chance, especially Speed coming out in July, uh, which was a cultural sensation. No, it just it just killed it. And even True Lies came out in July. It came out July 15th. So mm. you had Forrest Gump who came out July 6th. True Lies that came out July 15th. And you had June 15th, which was The Lion King, which spent the entire summer as one of the leaders in the box office. Ouch. You right. can't compete. And and that's not even including The Mask, which came out later this summer. If they were striving to get out July 1994, they didn't do their research on what everyone else was coming out with. I feel like that's a huge difference now between movies, because now movies is thoroughly researched 
we know what's coming out, when it's coming out. It's been they they schedule movies years in advance. So these production studios know now and I have a feeling that maybe they just didn't understand what was going to be big. Because yeah, maybe they... Universal looked at this and said The Lion King, an animation, fuck that, who cares? Yeah, we're, we're we're making a dark PG-13, you know, superhero thing. We're going to get a different audience or whatever, but yeah. I don't, uh, it, it seems as if in, from the time of Jaws through the 90s, I would say, the release dates weren't as carefully planned. It was almost just like dump every big thing out in the summer. If they have to compete with each other, we'll just see what wins. <laughs> yeah, it was always a buildup. It was July, and even today, January and February known as the want want months. Yeah, dumping months. Yeah, it's just like, well, we couldn't figure out another time to put it, whatever. And then we have the buildup. You have your March, your Aprils, and then May was kind of like, okay, this is this is the big stuff. And then June, July, and August. Uh, well, maybe not August, but June and July are the big boys. Maybe May, June, and July are the big boys. Yeah, it's like Memorial Day kicks off summer movie season, and then it goes through July, and then August is still summer movie season, but it's not the big grab it's kind of like the second january you're like "Eh." it's dumping summer basically it's summer dumping is uh august and then yeah september and october start the horror movies and then november starts the holiday movies and the oscar shit yeah well yeah that's always december and january the oscar bullshit um but yeah, I think I think in '94 they were instead of carefully mapping out because they weren't planning five years in advance like they are now. Uh, carefully, they weren't carefully mapping out. All right, well, we'll have best time, optimal time to make money if we come out at this time because this is coming up then. I really think they were just like, oh, it's summer movie season, put it out. <laughs> I, I'm right there with you, and then I mean, True Lies. People forget how big True Lies was. Everyone knows The Lion King and Forrest Gump was huge. But people forget how big Mrs. Doubtfire and True Lies were. Yeah, it was they massive. Were, yeah, they were huge. And like True Lies, it's James Cameron. Every time James Cameron puts out a movie, it's one of the biggest grossing movies. You know, like and people forget that True Lies is one of those. Yeah, and then and then you even go down the line where you're like Speed, which we discussed. Speed and True Lies is probably what killed the Shadow. Mm-hmm. You could have survived if it was the Lion King Forrest Gump because Forrest Gump is for the adults who want to see cinema, the art of cinema. The Lion King is for all the families. And then you had, you know, the the 30-year-old, the 20-year-old guys with their dates and whatever. You had to fill that up with some type of either romantic comedy or action. That's kind of what 20- and 30-year-old men bring dates to. And at the time, that's what was known as the bread and butter. So, you've got three movies. Do you want True Lies? Do you want Speed? Or do you want The Shadow? And it's like, yeah, Speed and True Lies are going to win it out. Like, every yeah, you've time. got Arnold with True Lies, and then you've got a young, attractive Keanu Reeves in Speed. Yeah, yeah. I, was, like, I like Alec Baldwin, but come on. It was just tough. But it didn't, it didn't, uh, it wasn't hidden because I remember the TV commercials. Mm-hmm. They were everywhere. I saw them with all my cartoons, and I and I had the toys. I had yeah. all the shadow toys. I remember the shadow toys. I didn't collect them, but I remember them. Yeah, I had By them all. By Kenner. Who 
knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? <laughs> the Shadow knows. Armed with Quick Draw 45s, the mysterious crime fighter faces the evil Shawan Khan. But Shadow's hypno-eyes cloud men's minds. You will obey. Khan escapes on his serpent bike. After him, Shadow! Khan fires first. Shadow Cycle pops a wheelie, launching a counter-missile. Oh, into the road, Khan. Or is it? Who knows? <laughs> the Shadow knows. Shadow, Night Myth Cycle, other figures and vehicles, each sold separately. Yep, I had every single one of them. Uh, and I, because I obviously was obsessed and loved the movie as a kid, but like, they, you know, they it wasn't without trying. They were marketed, they were pushing this one pretty hard. Yeah, I remember the uh, the car. Because it looks so much like the old 60s Batman car. Mm -hmm. And I remember kids making fun of it. Like, this is Grandpa's toys. I was like, oh, I just didn't collect them. That was too much of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Or Power Rangers or whatever it was at that time. But I was getting too old at the point for me collecting action figures when this came out. But I do remember them. Yeah, and they were cool fucking toys. Like, there was the one where you could turn him into the shadow, like his head went down into his shoulders, and you put the you clipped the yep. shadow thing over him, and then his arm raised, and it, like, covered half his... It was so cool. It was... A, it, they were cool toys. <laughs> yeah, and I think the shadow cartoon was... I think they had planned to come out with that, but it got canceled. Bummer. I would have watched the shit out of that. <laughs> Yeah, okay, yeah, I'm looking at right now, like, the stills of it. I just, I think it got canceled. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? I know. Uh, which is funny because it was made by the same company that did Batman the Animated Series. And if you look at the very few stills that came out, it looks exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> so they must have went from the Shadow to the Batman Animated Series like, eh, maybe this is a better one. Right. Uh, but yeah, the one still I'm looking at looks so much like the Batman Animated Series. And someone even makes fun of it where they like cross... The him bringing up his cape with the shadows. That's Amazing. funny. That's really funny. All right. I think it's time for the museum on this one. This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. So do you. This is the part of the show where we go out like Indy into the film jungle. We bring something back to our 90s comic book wing. Matt, this is your favorite. I'm letting you go first. Whew, boy. I fucking love everything about this movie. I want to put the entire movie in the museum. God, I don't know. I could put everything in this museum, but maybe I'll put one thing we haven't talked about yet in the museum that I think is still really cool. What a great theme song that this movie has over the end credits nobody talks about this when they talk about this movie but i love original sin by taylor dane that is the song that she did for this movie that plays over the end credits it's written by jim steinman who wrote like all of meatloaf's classics some celine dion songs and stuff like that he's very uh, total eclipse of the heart very operatic songwriter um and taylor dane 
incredible voice. I get this song stuck in my head daily. So I'm putting this in my portion because I can't put the whole movie in there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was going to be my uh, positive portion of it. So I'll, I'll go with The Lump of Coal, even though I do like this film. Uh, you got to figure out the ending. Got to do better than that, guys. That's that's what that's why this movie didn't go down as one of the Batmans of the time. It's the ending, and you I, know it. I unfortunately agree. I have to agree because I think the movie, as much as it might be chopped up, I don't think it's noticeable to an audience until the end. Yes, I think if you put together a good ending that you know was respectful to all the other story elements and pacing in the the beginning and end we could have had like an i uh, maybe not an iconic character i don't know how many sequels it would have been but you could have made a film that people remembered to this day as like a hollywood feature that could have possibly had sequels yeah i think honestly i do i think if they fix the ending i think this could have been more of a thing but at least we have it as a cult classic now yes yeah, that's good. And and I think Alec Baldwin could have been a superhero mainstay. Uh, I, I know he was going through a lot of alcohol problems at the time. And I, I don't know if it actually turned up on set, though. I haven't heard that. You can't he, tell in the movie. You know, he's on in the movie. Yeah. I, but he, this was the start of the period where Alec Baldwin was having problems. Mm-hmm. And it was becoming more noticeable to people in public. And, I mean, he had a huge bounce back later in his career. But the mid to late 90s was not nice to him. He had a lot of bombs, including this one. Where eventually Hollywood just said, you know what? We can't make money off you. And I don't think it was all his fault. Now, obviously, the alcoholism is a disease, and it affects your work. So that sucks. But I do love how he bounced back and really became a very charismatic person after he got through his troubles. It's always a great bounce back story. But I almost feel like he has had like two bounce backs because he kind of came back with 30 Rock. And then he kind of did like the post 30 Rock kind of comeback where he's back in movies again. He lost a ton of weight. He looks great. He's doing the Donald Trump thing on SNL every week. Like he's he's popular again. Yeah, I think he had a lot of problems too after 30 Rock. Where, I mean, he's always had a problem with the press. He's a very private person who can't stay private. Yeah, and he's got anger issues too that he's yeah, taken definitely. out on the paparazzi. Yeah, but I, I feel like... His substance abuse problem is what really balloons the anger. Uh, yeah. but, but it's amazing, too, because you hear all these stories of how like people love meeting him. And you also hear stories of like the paparazzi fucking hating him. <laughs> yeah, and it's like if he's, a, you know, if he's a good person to people that meet him or people that work with him and then he's shitty to the press, like that doesn't give me a negative opinion on him because it's like those paparazzi people are like scum of the earth so yeah they are (laughs) if he wants to fight them great (laughs) yeah i wonder if he's interested in doing another shadow i don't think he could i think well i don't know maybe but i i just don't think the shadow two would ever happen no it would be rebooted as a new thing before uh it ever got any kind of sequel but 
I know on the Shout Factory thing when they talk to Alec Baldwin, he's like he says if, if if ever it would happen, which he doesn't think it will either, but if ever it did happen, he's game. So yeah, that's good to hear. So that will end it this week. Thank you. This was number three in our four part series of '90s comic book movies. We come back next week with one. Woo! What a ride. We end pretty crazy here this month. Yeah, there's no joke. This one is definitely like, okay, wow, you guys are nuts. Yep, that's what we do. So remember to be kind. And rewind.